The Nature Podcast is supported by Nature Plus, a flexible monthly subscription that grants immediate online access to the science journal Nature and over 50 other journals from the Nature Portfolio. More information at go.nature.com slash plus. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi listeners, Nick Petridge Howe here coming to you a day early as today is Ada Lovelace Day. A day to celebrate the contributions of women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. Now, Augusta Ada King, Countess of Lovelace, known as Ada Lovelace, was a mathematician and writer who recognised the potential of computers to be used for far more than just calculation. And she did that way back in 1843. But here we are, 180 years later, and women and gender-diverse people still face significant barriers to working in STEM fields. So, Anne Pichon, Senior Opinion Editor here at Nature, decided to ask a selection of female researchers in Ada Lovelace's own field, computer science, about their experiences as part of a special comment feature. Today, Anne has invited two of these researchers to discuss the topic further, including talking about the biases that exist in these fields. A male will be able to work 24 hours or women will get pregnant and then they will leave. Like they have these stereotypes. The very different experiences of women around the world. The only computer I had access to was an old Soviet computer which used punch cards. And potential solutions to the barriers women still face. It's not enough just to ask the women to change or grow stronger. This doesn't just fall on women. This is a society in general. It falls on everybody. So presenting a special extra for the Nature podcast, here's Anne Pichon. Hi, I'm Anne Pichon. I'm a senior editor here at Nature. For Ada Lovelace Day, I was interested to hear different perspectives of women in various areas of computer science and tech. And this is because after almost two centuries after Ada Lovelace, there is still a lot to be done in the field to improve gender diversity. I'll be speaking with two of the computer scientists today. Would you both be able to introduce yourselves? Sure. Hello. Thanks for asking me to be part of this podcast. I'm Shobana Narasimhan. I'm a computational nanoscientist and I work at the Jawaharlal Nehru Center for Advanced Scientific Research in Bangalore in India. Hi, thank you so much for this amazing opportunity. My name is Tana O'Day. I'm a clinical professor of computer science at NYU, and I'm affiliated with NYU Abu Dhabi in the computer science department. I'm currently doing research on enrollment of computer science in the Arab world. And Sana, what got you initially interested in studying the issue of enrollment? Twelve years ago, I went to set up the computer science department and when you opened the university in Abu Dhabi, I noticed that there are deans that were women in engineering computer science and also that there were a large enrollment of women in these classes. And that made me curious about what's going on because in the U.S. we know that the enrollment 
is around 20%. And even a few years back, it was even less than that. So actually, you teamed up with an anthropologist and an economist to study this? Yeah, so the collaboration is focused on to see not only just the enrollment and to see why that there is more enrollment computer science than in other places. But we wanted to study, like, for example, also the challenges, because when they leave the university, even though many countries, the percentages of women are 45% and higher, they actually, when they go to the market to work, they face very similar discrimination attitudes that we face globally. So it's, this is not just predicament to the Arab world where, oh, it's a male will be able to work 24 hours or women will get pregnant and then they will leave. Like they have these stereotypes. But there is also a hopeful attitude that we see among the new ecosystem in the Arab world where it's just really great, where you see many of the companies have founders that are female And uh, you see this amazing energy where women are really empowered and feel like they're successful and a great percentage of the prizes goes to women entrepreneurs. I was wondering, Shobhanad, how does that match with your experience, with your perspective in India? I think it's very interesting because when I was a student in the U.S., many of my female friends told me that they had been explicitly told that women weren't smart enough to do science or computer science or physics. I almost never hear that in India. People accept that women are smart. However, they think this is not what they should be doing with their lives. So it's a difference in cultural perception, in my opinion. And in India, about a third of the people working in the software industry are women. But in academia, it's much less. About 12% of professors in computer science departments are women. In my field of computational physics and computational chemistry, I would say about 20% are women. So all of this is still higher than the percentage of women in the scientific workforce as a whole, which is about 14%. I just want to add a little bit about in terms of the statistics. And I do agree that culture plays a huge part of this. I think it's the same thing in the Arab world. When we talk to the women, why do they pursue this field? The top reason was that they want to have an impact on their community. And then another high point was that they're very passionate about this field. And then when I talk to them, the number one issue that they face is that they want to work on more challenging issues and more challenging research, which is fascinating for me. So it's not discrimination. It's just the lack of opportunity. This is basically what they were depressed about, is that we want to work on exciting, cutting edge, basically AI. And, 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 and you know, some of these countries don't have that sort of sophisticated research institutions or they do, but it's very limited. I just wanted to ask maybe about one aspect about the availability of resources in certain countries and not in other countries. And this is something that is central to Chauvin's piece in the comment, the digital divide, you know, and this is a, a very interesting point in Chauvin's career is that she's experienced this divide from both sides. So I studied at the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay, which is now called Mumbai, but I hadn't actually used a computer. The only computer I had access to was an old 
Soviet computer which used punch cards and it was a nightmare to use that. And so when I went to the U.S. to do my Ph.D. at Harvard and decided to work in computational physics, my advisor actually had to show me everything about a computer. He had to tell me, this is a cursor and you move the cursor by pressing this. So from there to become a computational scientist was uh, rather a challenging journey because I felt very intimidated because my American classmates knew all this stuff and they were very familiar with it. At that time, the phrase digital divide, it was not in common currency, but I've since become very aware of it as I move around India, but also because I've been teaching a lot recently in sub-Saharan Africa. And I see there that people, though they have access to the internet through mobile phones, and many of the people I have interacted with have laptops, they don't have access to high-performance computing. They don't have a stable internet connection. And these are real handicaps in today's scientific world, I think. I mean, this is really a remarkable story. It's really great to hear how you were able to transcend. And I totally agree. The divide is everywhere. So we do this event where we bring 200 girls from all over the schools in New York City. And we can see even just in New York City, the difference between the top schools and the difference between the, the underserved schools. And I, I just wanted to say, actually, women enrollment in, in physics and mathematics, it's much better in the U.S. than in computer science. Computer science was around f close to 40% in 84, and then it went really down. So that's what we have to also remember, that it's our attitude, it's our culture, it's what we're doing education, where girls are getting these cues from the parents, the teachers, the people around them, the society, the films, and so on and so forth, that this is not a field for them. Look at biology and medicine. Women are now the majority, and these are used to be men's fields. So it's important to pay attention that it is not women who don't really want to go to these fields. It's other factors, and especially cultural factors, that are not allowing them to do that. I want to ask one thing, what you think about it. I've heard it said, you know, as an explanation for why the percentage of women in computer science has fallen in the U.S., that computer science has become more prestigious and that's why women are kind of shut out of it because initially it was seen as a kind of almost clerical job. You know, you were data entry operators, that kind of thing. And as its prestige grew and as the money you could make in it grew, it became more and more a male domain. What do you think about that? Yes, and I think that also lends itself to medicine. I mean, that's the reason why they say there is more women now, because medicine is becoming less prestige. And as less money goes into it, men leave and then more women are going in. So, so that's one of the ideas. But it seems like there are other ideas. In the 80s, also, we had the personal computers and the computers were bought for men in the house to play with and play games and so on. So it became more experience. So that's also another factor. There are other factors as well. I wanted to ask you one Final thing to both of you. Uh, you clearly, you know, have thought a lot about women's experiences in the field and how to support women and perhaps others also facing similar barriers. So do you have solutions in mind, do you know, to help the culture of the field change, whether in industry or in academia or in, you know, for students or in the workplace? Do you have solutions you think could help eliminate these barriers? 
there are two things. I mean, what do you do that's targeted at women and then also what is targeted at men because it's not enough just to ask the women to change or grow stronger or whatever. They're in a whole ecosystem. And of course, I'm talking in real generalities here because some women behave differently or believe differently and some men are very supportive, some are not. But I think the important thing is to really raise awareness. And I've given many talks about this at various places just to raise awareness. But it's quite a hard challenge I face because I will give, you know, statistic after statistic after statistic. And then at the end of it, people will say, oh, it was all anecdotal or, oh, she exaggerated. And I don't know how they think I exaggerated when they're all statistics, you know. The other thing is, of course, for women themselves to realize, first of all, that they are not the problem. That is very important because sometimes women are in such a minority that people tell them you're just imagining it or you're oversensitive or you're not strong enough. And I think it's very important for women to realize that they're not at fault if they're feeling isolated or inadequate or left out or harassed, discriminated. So I think this is very important and we have to raise awareness. And I think ultimately things will only change when we have more women in the field. I think when you have such an imbalance in numbers, you're bound to have problems. I mean, I totally agree. But I think also this doesn't just fall on women. This is a society in general. It falls on the government. It falls on the educational institutions. It falls on everybody. But we have to face it. This is like still patriarchy. I mean, it really has to transcend from law to the education institute. Because of the discrimination, we have to become, you know, a superhuman, a hero's. I mean, I see it also in the women, for example, in the UAE and Saudi, who are because their country is trying to promote them. So for somebody to come back and they have families and then they have to work in academia and we know how hard that is. And then they become a leader in their country. You know, they become a minister. So you can see that they're playing so many roles, you know, so it's like then it becomes really hard also for their women to be themselves, to be just a regular human being and to live for themselves. So it's either you're the hero or you're just nobody. And we need to to look at all of, of these issues and say that women just are human beings and they don't have to be so successful and work, you know, 50 hours a day in order to survive in a job. This is unbelievable that in 2023, we still have this huge, huge divide and people face these huge barriers. I'd love to chat further to both of you about this, but I think that's all we have time for today. Thanks a lot, both of you. It was really fascinating. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was a conversation between Anne Pichon, Senior Opinion Editor here at Nature, Shobana Narasimhan from the Jawaharlal Nehru Centre for Advanced Scientific Research in India, and Asana Oday from New York University in the US. For more on this story, check out the show notes for a link to the full comment article, and listen out tomorrow for the rest of the regular Nature podcast. Deep dive into the world of science with Nature Plus. 
From the vastness of the distant star systems to the intricacies of infectious diseases due to climate change, we've got you covered. Enjoy access to over 55 cutting-edge journals, breaking scientific news, and over a thousand new articles every month. Whether you're a seasoned researcher or just curious, Nature Plus simplifies complex studies. Plus, it's all available right at your fingertips on nature.com. Nature Plus, the key to unlocking the world's most significant scientific advances. Subscribe today at go.nature.com slash plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.